We are continuing in our sermon series on the journey to Jerusalem, and uh, we are <clears throat> walking with Jesus as he walked with his disciples, and uh, has a destination in mind. He's going to become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the Savior and Lord, but not yet. Uh, he has an assignment from God, and he's working his way towards the destination, but in the meantime, he's trying to teach a lot of lessons along the way, and <clears throat> like last week, was a bit heavy in the theology, um, and the concepts today is no different. <laughs> We're going to continue into the heavy stuff, but the good stuff, uh, because it, it both challenges us and gives us hope at the same time. Uh, Jesus was never apologetic about talking about the difficult things. Uh, he, he talked about the, the light things and the, the heavy things with his disciples because they needed to know these kinds of things. So, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, uh, verse four, 4 to 12 today, and I'm putting a title of Seeing Straight. I'm not actually going to refer to that much in my sermon, but the idea is you've got to have a, a clear vision for where you're headed. You've got to see through all of the stuff that's in the way, all the distractions that could derail you as you follow Jesus. You've got to watch out for what people may want to say to you to to take you off track or to uh, discourage you. And uh, if you see straight, I, I, I think we, if we see the destination and the goal, then I think we're going to be okay. So he starts off in uh, chapter 12, verse 4. And by the way, we've, um, we've given out pew Bibles. Uh, if you ever forget your Bible, there's a couple of them in each, each row that you can access and just look at. When I, when I get my act together, I will tell you it's on page 352 kind of thing in the Pew Bible, if you can look it up. But in the meantime, we're, we're wanting to make sure that everybody has access. Maybe you don't have it on your cell phone with you or have a Bible with you. Feel free to read along. Who knows what translation I'll use each, each Sunday, but that's okay. <clears throat> he starts, starts off by saying, my friends, don't be afraid of people. Uh, and I like how he starts off with, my friends. Uh, because that's really who he's addressing. And I think the commentators suspect that at this point, and we don't always know who he's actually physically talking to, whether it's the crowds at hand, 5,000 people in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount type of thing, or whether it's the 12 disciples or any larger group. But the commentators suspect he's talking mostly to his disciples here. My friends, don't be afraid of people. So our women's Bible studies in the, in the past while has studied this concept of idols and what in our life are idols? Do we bow down to? Do we give, pay homage to in our life, whether it's fashion or it's travel or if it's education or whatever it's in our life that seems to take the priority away from God or Christ? If Jesus isn't in the center, everything else can clutter and take over. So let me ask you, as we start off this, what do you or who do you bow down to in your life? Who, who or do you give the most power in your life? <clears throat> your boss, your spouse, your mother or father, strangers? I know some people that are so terrified of what a stranger might think of them, of what a stranger might Maybe they don't have their outfit just together the right way or the latest whatever, handbag, and, and they're so terrified that someone might think badly of them that they will never meet, never know, and never come across again the rest of their life, but still, their opinion is so devastating. 
Do you bow down to God? Do you bow down to what he asks of you, or do you put it off? Do you say, uh, not yet, not right now. Maybe I should say, what, not what you bow down to, but what do you stand up for? Who do you stand up against? Maybe, maybe you need that confidence just to stand up for what's right. Do you find yourself arguing with God instead of obeying? But you give, um, you give in to people all the time? Jesus is saying, do not fear people. He wants us to have things in the right place. He says, basically, they can kill you, but after that, there's not much else they can do. They can kill you? Yeah, happens all the time, actually. Right around the world, people are dying all the time. Um, But there's bigger things that are play here than death, Jesus is saying. There's some things actually more important to be concerned about than than not living here on this earth. Uh, It's where are you going to spend eternity? Where is your soul going to be? Who who are you here today? It's going to impact where you're going to be forever. Uh, You know, in God's plan, the physical life we are living is very temporary. Even with our good water and good medical, um, good... uh, or the absence of wars, you know, our, our lifespan is so different. You know, there's, I think that the person this past week or so, in the last weeks, a 119-year-old Japanese fellow passed away, and that meant that now um, a 116-year-old Spanish woman is the oldest living person, 116 years old. According to Roman law in Jesus' day, the age of consent to marry was 12-year-old for girls and 14 for boys. Why so young? You might ask. Why so young? <laughs> because with disease and military conflict and lack of medicine, the life expectancy in Jesus' day, do you know what it is? Mid, mid-30s. So if you lived into your 40s, you were a senior citizen. Life was so short in Jesus' day. I mean, just think about all the things that they had to get through. And we don't, they don't have the modern conveniences of hygiene and all that that we have and disinfectants. They didn't have any of that. So if you were past 33, 40, you were like old, long in the tooth. Philippians 1.20, Paul kind of puts it into perspective. This living and dying, this death versus life. This is his view of that. He says, I fully expect and I hope that I will never be ashamed, Philippians 1.20, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live... I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. So during this passage, keep in mind that Jesus is actually demonstrating for us what he's talking about. He shows us what he means when he says, don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of those that can take your life. Be afraid of the one who can throw you into hell. God is certainly the one you should fear. You see, he's about to face those people that want to take his life. And he's not going to cower. He's not going to shy away from the truth. He's not going to fold and run away and, and hide from people just because they're mean 
and calling him names and trying to kill him. He's like, no, <laughs> sorry, but I'm reserving my fear for the one who can actually deal with my soul, not my body. So in this verse, uh, verse 5, God is the one you must fear. Not only can he take your life, but he can throw you into hell. God is certainly the one you should fear. So there's two words in this particular verse that bother people. The first one is fear. They don't really want to fear God. They want to retranslate this to say, we shouldn't really be fearing God. We should respect God. Like we, should, we should honor God. We should bring glory to God. But, you know, not fear. We should just re- admire Him. When you look in the original language, the, the Greek language, the word for fear in both verse 4 and 5 is phobia. And it means to be put to flight by terrorizing, or to flee, to be afraid, struck with fear, seized with alarm. And it can also have uh, flavors of reverence, to treat with deference and reverential obedience. So in other words, it's, it actually does mean to be afraid, or sorry, to fear God in, in every sense of that word. But we don't have to be afraid of God. And the way I, I kind of look at this is... Um, any of, <laughs> Any of you out there ever like to play with matches? Am I the only one? I mean, from a young age, I was fascinated by fire. Thank you. I got to see that hand. Uh, I, I could sit for hours looking at a campfire. In fact, I learned really early as a kid how to light a campfire with just one match uh, to make it burn brightly. I, I learned how to do the, the flint stuff. I love my little, it's like a jet engine torch. Lighters like just amazing what they have. I even have a plasma lighter because it's just like, wow, more ways to make fire. Okay, I'm a bit of a pyromaniac, but that's, I never burned any houses down. I have caught myself on fire twice. Um, wasn't fun. You know, for fire, fire you can use to, to cook your food. You can use to boil water to make amazing coffee. Uh, it, can, it can keep you warm. It can give you light in the darkness. There's lots of great things about fire. And I, I appreciate every one of them. But I also know the destructive nature of fire. I do know that, that lives end with fire, that houses are destroyed, that people lose everything. Communities, entire forests are devastated by fire. So I I have a a fear of what fire can do, but I'm not afraid of fire. Like I respect the awesomeness, the the power that fire can wreak uh, havoc when it's let loose and and, and unencumbered. But it has a lot of potential for doing amazing good things. How many of you have, you know, gas furnaces? If you don't have fire, you don't have heat in your house. You know, a lot of these things... So I kind of see the same with God. I respect that he could, how many times did he wipe out the people on the face of the earth? Moses was about to see all of the people of Israel wiped out. And God started over Noah, saw all the people wiped out. Sodom and Gomorrah, down, like wiped out. Like God is amazing. Yes, he's love. Yes, he's compassion and grace. But you know what? He can be devastatingly uh, harsh in the face of sin and rebellion. So I fear God, but I'm not afraid. And in fact, the verses coming up, we're going to say in verse 6, the sparrows are sold for just two pennies, but God doesn't forget one of them. Even the hairs on your head are counted. 
So don't be afraid. You are worth much more than the many sparrows. Be fearful of God, but don't be afraid because he loves you. The other word in this passage is hell. Um, Sorry, go back to the, the one just before. On the Oh, did I not have the verse? Oh, well. So, verse 5, it says, God is the one you must fear. Not only can he take your life, but he can throw you into hell. Um, a lot of people don't like that word either. So let's just look at that for a second. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you think Jesus would lie to you? Do you think Jesus would... Um, mislead you? Do you think Jesus would make something up just to make a point? So when Jesus talks about his father sending people to hell, he's not lying to you. He's not fabricating something. He's not uh, trying to make some scary point in order to terrify people. He's just laying it out. Those that that, uh, reject him, there's a place for them, those that accept him, there's a place, and it's not the same place. Jesus says, "You don't have to be afraid of people anymore, because I'm not." And he shows us what that looks like. He faced a lot of difficult situations, a lot of angry people, a lot of people cursing him and calling him names and threatening him. He was, more than once, he was about to be bullied and thrown off onto a, over a cliff or a stone, but it wasn't his time because he feared God more and God had his back. The second point, uh, confess. The first point was fear, but don't be afraid. The second point in this passage is confess. Testify, bear witness to the truth. Verse 8 says, If you tell others that you belong to me, the Son of Man will tell God's angels that you are my followers. That's pretty important because uh, the angels are the gathering force. When Jesus says, It's time, boys, I'm coming back, he sends the angels out to gather all of his people to be with him. You don't want to be missed on the, on the pickup route uh, of the angels, you want to be gathered up with all the rest of the saints. Um, The angels are also tasked with protection of God's people. So once Jesus identifies you as one of his followers, when you confess uh, him before man, he says, I confess you before my angels, you become uh, a target for them, you're on the pickup route, and and I like to think that we are on the witness protection plan of God. Because he takes care of us, we are his witnesses, we testify to the truth of Jesus, we confess him before others. You remember what Romans 10, 9, and 10 say. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised from from the dead, you will be saved. He puts the confession and belief together. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth confession, uh, one confesses and is saved. Jesus is repeating himself in many ways. He's, He's putting this out there to say, you might believe, but I want everyone else to know you believe. You can't be a secret follower of mine, he's saying. There's going to be a time where you're going to need to stand up for what's right and what's true. I also like this verse. Um, It can be a line of defense when people try to bully you or coerce you or intimidate you. Let them know whose you are. Who do you belong to? Jesus sends his angels to back you up, to protect. You might think you're having fun with me, but I belong to Jesus. And you got to deal with him at some point. 
You belong to him. You confess him. You belong to him. You're identified as his follower. His angels are ready to come get you when the time is right. And verse 9 says, but if you reject me, you will be rejected in front of them. Other translations say, if you deny me before people, if you deny you know me, yeah, then, then when it comes time, I will say, I don't know. I don't know you either. If a person denies Jesus, rejects Jesus, disregards what he has to offer, it will result in the exact same thing for that person in the end. He says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he's saying, this is how you treated me? It's going to come back to you. If you're only concerned with your own interests and not the kingdom of God, then you'll be left to your own devices when you stand before him. His angels will have no interest in your welfare, and you will not be saved. People say, well, but I'm a good person. And Jesus will say, yeah, but I never knew you. But I gave lots to support the poor and the needy. And Jesus will say, true, but I never knew you. But I never really did anything bad. Jesus would say, well, that's also true, but I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. You never called on me. You never sought me out. You never cried out to me. You never identified yourself as one of my followers. You didn't even try to bring anyone to me. You lived your life on your own terms. You took care of your own interests, and you never included me in your life in any meaningful way. So now you reap what you sow. Be a lot of surprised people. You remember Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Is that not this is what Jesus is saying. So he expects that it's more than just a, a buy-in mentally or emotionally that I want to be a Christian. I, want to, I don't want to go to hell. But he says you've got to stand up at some point. You can't just accept without confessing. I want to do something with you today. If you're at home, you can stand up too. I would like everyone to stand up. And I would like everyone to say with me, Jesus is Lord, when I say one, two, three. And you can actually shout it if you want. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Uh, One more time. I want you to confess Christ this morning. Let's say it. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. And I want you now to say Jesus is my Lord. And if it's not true, I hope it will be by the end of this service today. One, two, three. Jesus is my Lord. You've just confessed him before men. Would you have a seat? The next verse, verse 10, is often confusing to people. And I did a lot of research on this. And I'm I'm not even sure I found all the ins and outs of verse 10. But it says, if you speak against the Son of Man, you can be forgiven. 
But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you cannot be forgiven. This is called the unpardonable sin. This is the one that you don't get a pass for, that you can't undo. It's not the best translation in Luke, because in the Greek, the English, it's using the same terminology. If you speak against uh, the Son of Man, and if you speak against the Holy Spirit, but in the original languages, and in Matthew and in Mark, both of them translate it a bit differently. They say in, um, in their translations, uh, <clears throat> instead of speaking against, they will say, if you blaspheme, blaspheme, this is blasphemy. If you attribute to Satan what is actually from God, you are blaspheming. If you are uh, cursing God, if you are uh, treating him with uh, disrespect and defaming or speaking evil of, if you are slandering and railing against and reviling God, and there's a really good word I learned today, or sorry, this week, it's called calumniate. How many of you know what calumniate is? I was, oh, I see a, I see a hand. I'm shocked. It's the first time, and this is English even, calumniate. Uh, calumniate is to utter maliciously false statements or charges or imputations about a person. To calumniate someone is to spread l- really vicious lies about them. Uh, anyone watching politics these days? Yeah, there's a lot of calumniation going on in politics where people are spreading maliciously false things about people and expecting and ruining uh, reputations. Last week we talked about the religious leaders attributing to Christ casting out demons to the work of Satan. So what Jesus is doing is he's actually identifying today in this, this passage the calumniators. He's passing judgment on them. He's saying, you who saw what I did, I healed a man that had a, an unclean spirit that, that prevented him from, from speaking, and you said I was doing it because of Satan? This is a scary passage, actually. He's saying, you will never be forgiven. He says, I don't care what you say about me. If you repent, that's, that's okay. I will forgive you of what you do to me, what you say to me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But if you rail against, calumniate, if you denounce and maliciously lie about the, the Holy Spirit, you're done. You will go into eternity a cursed person. It's a, it's a, it's a scary passage. But... Truly, like I have actually come across people that said, I've committed the unpardonable sin. I'm going, no, I don't think you have, actually. Because <laughs> this, this isn't talking about, um, it's not talking about uh, uh, resisting the Holy Spirit or uh, fighting against the Holy Spirit. This is actually attacking the Holy Spirit. This is trying to disparage the Spirit of God. And, and if, you're, if you're at that point, your heart is so, so dark, so evil, so opposed to the work of presence of God, that you're cursing and saying blasphemous things, um, likely there will be no repentance. There will be no sorrow for that. You're just going to be shaking your fist at God the whole way until you see Him face to face. It's not grieving or resisting the Spirit's work in your life. That's totally different. Blasphemy 
reflects a hatred of Christ and the works of God and attributing God's work, whether it's physical healing or spiritual deliverance, to satanic activity instead of giving it rightly where it belongs to the Spirit of God. Verse 11 and 12, when you are brought to trial in the Jewish meeting places or before rulers, officials, don't worry about how you're going to defend yourself or what you will say. At that time, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. <laughs> it's a bit unnerving when you see that word when. It's not the word if. If you ever get called up and have to test it. It's like, so when you get arrested and accused falsely of malicious undertakings against the state or when you are arrested or called to give evidence for standing up against societal requirements or speaking out opposing immorality or unbiblical activity, you don't have to do a lot of preparation. You don't have to study up on what you're going to say. The Spirit of God who is in you will tell you what to say at that moment. And you will, you will testify to me. You will give evidence of truth and of God's expectations for people. Relax. Don't fear men. Jesus says. Keep watching because I'm about to show you what I mean. So this uh, passage seems pretty heavy to work through. There's a lot of warnings, which, you know, it's nice to have warnings because then you can avoid certain things. If he never bothered to tell us about the, uh, the results of calumniations, uh, we, we would maybe think it's okay, but he says it's not. Basically what Jesus is telling his disciples is People will try to silence you, to intimidate you, to spread lies about you and falsehoods about you, to destroy your character and your reputation. But that's what they did to him. In essence, they could expect to be treated in the same manner as he was treated. If they would treat the Lord in the same way, the servants of the Lord should expect no less. I agree in North America, we have it pretty easy. We have society that kind of was based on Christian values and Christian morals. It's just been slowly, decade by decade, eroded away to where now you can't even print scriptures in, in the newspaper because someone will be offended by that. And someone's rights will be stepped on if we just print the Word of God. It used to be that you, you, you swear in the Bible to tell the truth or the whole truth, but now they don't, you don't need the Bible anymore. You can use whatever you like. You can use your diary if you want to bring it in. They've taken away the power of the Word of God, the respect for the Word of God, the respect for God. You watched the, um, the award show uh, last week. Uh, basically, people giving the finger to God. In full view, millions upon millions of people watching this show, and they just basically disrespected God as much as they possibly could with that one act particularly. It's heavy stuff, but let's look at the other side of it. Let's flip the coin a little bit. Here, the, the warnings and the negativity, well, where's the positive side? He says, we are not forgotten by God. We are always on his mind. Jesus loves us. He died for us that we can have life and have eternal life. The very hairs on our heads are numbered. I won't tell any jokes about that. We'll just pass by that one. I know he has less counting to do for me than 10 years ago, but that's okay. What that means is that we have an intimate relationship with God. He knows us so well that he, he, could, he tells you how many hairs are still on, on the top of your head. He knows you inside and out. 
That's the kind of God that we serve. Jesus himself, he has confessed that we belong to him in front of all the heavenly hosts. He's saying, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Take care of them. And also we have an amazing tutor who will give us the words we need to confess Christ before magistrates and rulers and authorities. You don't have to worry about confessing because he'll tell you exactly what to say. And lastly, all of our sin is forgiven in Christ. We're good to go. We're ready. If our life should end at any time, to die is gain. If we get to live longer, it's a joy to be able to serve Jesus as long as we have time. Have no fear. So when you read into the Scriptures a little bit more, into the book of Acts, this, this passage kind of just works itself into the story of a deacon named Stephen. Acts chapter 6. Stephen was a powerful man of God, full of faith and wisdom. He did great wonders and miracles in the community. But the religious leaders took offense at him and hauled him before the magistrates. And they actually paid people to calumniate against him, to spread vicious lies and unjust accusations. And here's what it says, Acts 10, uh, 6, verse 10. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. And this roused the people, the elders, the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen, brought him before the high council, and the lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple, against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. In the next 50 verses are Stephen's confession of faith. I don't think he prepared for this. I think God gave him the words to say. 50 verses of review of God's activity with mankind right to the point of how those people had condemned Christ to death. In Acts 7, verse 54, the Jewish leaders were so infuriated by Stephen's accusations that they shook their fists at him with rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked into heaven and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he said to the crowd, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. They stoned him, and Stephen prayed. As they stoned him, he said, Lord, receive my spirit. And as he fell to his knees, he shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Jesus predicted this, right? He predicted that People would be illegally arrested by religious leaders for doing good things. Stephen was illegally condemned to death based on lies and falsehoods. And he was illegally murdered by the mob. But he didn't fear those that could kill the body. He confessed Christ before his accusers in a wonderful manner led by the Spirit of God. And in response, I would have loved to have seen it. Jesus stood almost like a standing ovation. Good job, Stephen. That was fantastic. 
Stephen even took time to forgive his enemies and prepared himself to meet Jesus. Lord, he says, receive my spirit. And then Jesus welcomed Stephen home. What a day, what a way to begin eternity with Jesus standing there welcoming you right into his presence. So do you understand kind of what Jesus is getting at? He's warning his people that there will be a time when people will stop hearing truth. They don't want to hear truth. They will lie about you. They will plan to arrest you. They will haul you before courts. They will accuse you of of doing the wrong things. How will you respond? Satan wants you to fear people. God says there's no reason to fear people. Satan wants you to feel alone, isolated. Jesus says, you belong to me, and all my angels know it. You're never alone. Satan wants you to keep silent, to be intimidated. The Spirit wants to speak through you to impact hearts and souls for Jesus for all eternity. So what is is Jesus saying to you today? Is it that your fear has been misplaced for much of your life? You've been so afraid of people, but not afraid of God. Not fearing God, rather. Maybe it's that you've never really confessed Jesus as your Lord to anyone before. Maybe, maybe today you will take that stand to say, I want to be counted. I want Jesus to confess me before his angels in heaven. Sometimes people need an assurance of their salvation, assurance that Jesus knows them and calls them his own. Or maybe, as Kaylee said earlier, you, just, you need to be all in. You've never been baptized, and now you realize there isn't a lot of time to play around with eternity. Believe, be baptized, confess Christ. Live a life worthy of your calling as a Christian. Settle that once and for all in your heart. Be all in. Don't hold anything back anymore. To the front of our church, we open it up for prayer. You don't actually have to wait till the end of a song to come and pray. You can just come and kneel at the front. Maybe there's something today you need to say to Jesus. Maybe there's something you need to work out with him today so that you know you're okay with him, that you've, you've done what it takes to be in right relationship with him. Do not fear You can come before a loving Father and a wonderful Lord and a comforting Spirit. Trust your life into their care. He will never let you down. We're going to sing and stand together as we conclude our service. But don't be afraid to just walk out, come down, kneel down, pray to the one who loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You respond as the Spirit of God tells you.